is hell eternal? Why is hell eternal? That's a heavy one to start right there. Does any one of these pastors want to take a crack at that one? Steve, do you have any thoughts on that? Uh, I think it's the wrong question. I think the question is, is hell eternal? And I think when it comes to the why, I think it's just beyond our understanding. And so I think people, people question, you know, well, why, does, you know, why would God judge people forever for a finite amount of sins? I don't know. I don't know. I just know God's good and God's fair, and he's going to do what's good and fair and right. And so how that works, I don't really understand. I don't have the brains to figure that out. I just know as I read what Jesus said about it, it's like, it is eternal. And so that's where I kind of camp. It's just, that's what's important to me. And the whys of it, I just leave to him, kind of like if you read the end of Job, when God answers Job, it just leaves you understanding, I don't understand anything. You know, I, I, I have to trust God's judgment. So that'd be my thought. Anybody else? Steve, that's a great response, and I really like that. I really agree with it, partly because what you're doing is you're pointing to one of the points I made, is we need to have the majesty of God. The majesty of God is he's eternal. So we don't have the mind of God, but we know that his majesty is eternal. He's holy. It's a... Uh, um, In Hebrews, right, it's destined that each person is to die once and then experience eternal judgment. Partly because of how holy he is. It's in his nature that it's eternal. It's in his nature that we have eternal life in his son, Jesus Christ. So the same promise and hope that we have in the positive uh, is going to be consistent. He's the consistent one. Guys, have gotten questions. Uh, you want ready for one? You ready? Do it one at a time or two? Got one here. Um, Pastor Rich, you mentioned a tribulation called Pan Trib. Can you e briefly explain that? Um, Pan Trib was kind of a joke. Uh, it did go better than my dad jokes, but, uh, you know, it, it is the idea, and I used to probably subscribe to the pan trip, but it's the idea that it's all going to pan out in the, in the end, so why bother thinking about it? But I do think it, it's important to think about really what your theology is on some of these things. It's going to affect your liveology, and if you think that uh, Christ maybe is coming soon, it's probably going to, it should affect how prepared you are, what you're doing, how you're living. If you think he's going to come later, it's probably going to affect whether or not you're prepared now and you know, you know might hunker down. You might get your bunker all stocked up and supplied. But what you think about you, you know, your theology here, it's going to affect how you live. And, and generally speaking, those who've leaned in the, like, I think he's coming sooner than later and I need to be ready at all times, often that has led to a spirit of evangelism. And that's something that's good to have. And 
Um, yet at the same time, if he delays in his coming and it's a post-trib, you don't want to be the guy that doesn't have any beans, I guess, because you're going to be begging from, from the other guys there. But anyways, the pan-trib idea, it's all going to pan out, and it is all going to pan out. But what you believe about these end times is going to affect how you live, and, and that makes a difference. I hope that helps. Should I do it? All right. I got three questions here that I think I can kind of hit all at once. Uh, they're good questions about heaven, right? Um, and so first one is, will there be space exploration and travel in the new creation? And of course, I don't know. Like the Bible doesn't tell us one way or another, but I appreciate what John shared earlier is imagine what you want. Like he said, skiing Well, imagine space exploration and it's crazy. And then you have ice cream in your hands or, or whatever that was. Sure. And travel, we know it's a new heaven and a new earth, and you lay out those dimensions and you go, that's not like the size of this room, like it's huge and it's amazing. And I mean, by all means, I think we'll get to explore it. It'll be better than space ice cream. Yeah, the dip, no dipping dots for sure. Um, then somebody asks, so going along with that, do you think I can be an animal in heaven? Uh, I don't know. You know, like, what's your spirit animal? Like, no, I don't know what it would be. I, uh, we're, we get a new body uh, and a new name, and um, so I don't know the answer to that specifically, but, uh, you know, use your imagination. That's the point. It's going to be new, and it's going to be amazing. Somebody else asks, will there be childbirth in heaven? Uh, that's an interesting question. Um, I, I would say I, I, the signs would point to their, that not being the case. Uh, because childbirth is sort of the vehicle that God has created to put souls onto the earth, and I think the souls will be there. Um, but then again, he's God, and it's heaven, and it's his creation, and, and we'll sort of see how it is. But no, there's nothing in Scripture that would point us to say that there's childbirth in heaven. Somebody else? Jump in there and say your question. We won't get to all these. Okay. Well, first I'll introduce myself. I'm Brian Powers. I'm with Greg in Los Angeles uh, as co-pastor. Thank you. Um, sat in with him on a seminar yesterday. So I got a couple questions here. Um, one is, um, you know, just with a lot of the racial unrest in our uh, country these days, you know, how do we minister in Los Angeles since the George Floyd murder? And, um, you know, it's tough. We, we live in a, a very culturally diverse neighborhood, and a lot of our neighbors are um, come from a whole host of different racial backgrounds. A lot of African-American neighbors that, um, you know, what's been happening really hits home for them, and we're very much in that conversation. Um, I have a coworker in particular um, who, you know, I, to me it's like I don't really see racial uh, lines in my office, even though there are a lot of race, races represented um, because in part, Jesus has changed my life, you know, and I can love everybody um, and come from that perspective that, hey, we just work together, you know, and, and God has created us each, and we're all each, um, you know, made in his image, and uh, Jesus died for uh, everyone that receives him, uh, regardless of their background. So I think that's the approach we've always had, and we continue to have. Um, of course, I was really struck by Matthew 24 yesterday that there will come a time when, uh, because of Jesus, uh, 
all the nations in the whole earth will, um, will hate us, you know, and, but our job is just to love them, right? So I think um, that's a big thing. It's a big deal, you know, for us in L.A. to be in that conversation. It's true everywhere, uh, but our job is to love people, and so um, it's an opportunity to show our love um, and, uh, and continue to trust the Lord in that, so. Um, another question here, how do I know what my mission in life is, uh, is, um, is not just a desire. You know, I think um, calling a mission in life, you know, this is a real uh, opportunity at this stage of your life to seek the Lord for what he has for his church. And uh, I think Mike's talk this morning really hit on this. Um, you know, life is what happens while you're trying to figure out what to do. I love that, Mike. That's a great quote, you know. And, um, you know, just try hard to dig into the Word and understand what Jesus has called his church to do and how he has gifted you as part of the body of Christ to be involved in the work of the church. So I think that will clarify a lot as you pursue that. John, you want to take Yeah, I have a couple here that, you know, probably touch some hard issues um, uh, that may be good to be trying to address. Uh, one would be, why are there no pastor's wives up there to answer the girls' questions? That's a great question. Um, and, of course, there could be questions behind that question. But uh, really, as we just came up with this idea of having uh, uh, question and answer time, we want to put seminar speakers up here. Of course, Krista did do a seminar um, uh, and uh, but that's just how in the in the moment of pulling it all together that's how that worked. But we wanted the people that spoke to be able to answer questions on what they came up with. So we could be uh, mean and make Krista come up here, but um, we probably will let that go. I can ask you later. Doctor, all evening. So here's another one though. Why do all women, underlined all, get blamed for what Eve did? And um, to try to answer that briefly, uh, I would just say that um, there can be lots of questions behind those kinds of questions, too. And the answer to all those questions, whether it's about men and women or about race or about, about slavery or about all kinds of things, have to start with the character of God. Is God good? Do I trust him? Do I trust him? And if I trust him, then I know whatever his answer is, is good. And when it comes down to questions about Eve, lots of times there's lots of joking about Adam and Eve. There would be one verse in the Bible in Timothy that would uh, take a dimension of what happened with Eve and, and connect that with qualities that God has created in womanhood. But nearly everything we know about Adam and Eve is about Adam. And it was Adam's sin that we all get labeled with. You all are marked, not by what Eve did. Nobody here is marked by what Eve did, but we are all marked by what Adam did. The world did not fall until Adam sinned. It's Adam who gets blamed. It's Adam who did wrong. It's Adam who was spoken to personally by God and who disobeyed him. And God labels all of that with that, all of us with that. Of course, if you understand that, you're very, very thankful. 
Because in Romans chapter 5, Paul tells us directly, because you died for somebody else's sin, you can be made alive for somebody else's righteousness. That's how that works. You died in Adam, and you were made alive in Christ. And um, one of the things I'm so thankful for is that all the people that have taught me in Christ have such an incredible honor for the work of God in women, and many of the women that led in my world led me and what it meant to honor Christ. And I just wanted you guys to know, I just wish I could communicate, and I tried this in my seminars today, the, the incredible power and beauty of the Spirit of God in both men and in women. But we could say more about that at another time. Thanks, John. A couple questions I'll move through quickly here. Have you ever hit your leg with a Razor scooter? No. <laughs> Josh, which do you think is better? A1 plus A2 or sum of A1 plus A2? Tricky. First option. This is a good one. Now, I'm assuming those were jokes. If those were serious questions, you can talk to me afterward. <laughs> As Christians, how do we watch? How do we keep watch? How do we know in life that when he is coming? So first, going real quickly to the deception stuff that we talked about last night. I think we are, if we're trying not to be tricked by false teachers, we're thinking about all the voices speaking into our life our friends, our classmates, what we're watching, Instagram, social media, we're watching. Is this building my soul, my faith? Is this growing this or is this weakening it? So I, I do think there's a vigilance there that God calls us to like we discussed last night. And how do we know when he is coming? Actually, that's what Bill Young is teaching on tonight. So I'll find out in church. <laughs> how do you pray? Uh, prayer is you speaking to God. So for me, practically, some things I do is I have a sheet of paper each week where I write down things that I heard about in people's lives, and I pray through that list. I pray through my calendar. I pray about the things coming up in my calendar. I pray through my to-do list. I've made these files that are like cousins and aunts and uncles and grandpas and grandmas and neighbors and classmates, and I have lists of people I pray through. And then I've got these prayer flashcards that I go through like, so I use a variety of things to remind myself, and I just talk to God about those topics. So, good morning, Lord. Thank you for the good night's sleep. Thank you, God, for blessing me with another day of life. I thank you for my wife. I thank you, God, for my kids. I thank you, God, that my wife is raising my kids in holiness. Give her grace today. Give her strength. Help her to love and train them. Lord, I pray for Kale and Aiden. Bless them at school. Help them be witnesses for you. Help them be light. Lord, I pray for my pastor meeting this morning. I pray that it would be productive and encouraging. And just do that for five minutes and then do it for ten minutes. And then, like, learn how to do it. But I use all kinds of tools to remind myself to pray about stuff. So, Okay, I'll try a couple of these. I, I encouraged you guys to figure it out. So here's, I guess you're telling me to figure it out. So I'm going to try. Um, some of this is related to school. Um, how do you pursue people during a pandemic, uh, maybe you're not meeting together for classes, and uh, I, I get that it's extremely frustrating. Um, 
did it, kind of went through a little bit of role playing earlier with the brother about uh, how do you do, what does that might what might that look like in a workplace? So okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna say that Greg here, he said let's let's use the example of your you work at the hospital. Okay, Greg just got shot. He has a bullet in his arm. He's in a lot of pain. They just brought him in and say, hey brother, um, just want to let you know you you, you look kind of nervous. You doing okay? You look kind of scared. Hey, I just want to I just want to let you know. Um, the Bible says that uh, we don't need to be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, we can present our requests to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard our hearts and mind in Christ Jesus. I just, I just want, before we start, can I just pray with you? Just pray with him. Okay, and then say, hey, um, looks like you got a big one here in your arm. Tell you what, I'm, um, let's take a look at that, and, and while I'm looking at it, I'm praying that God, you, you've given me skills, you've given me training to get this this, and these are not guns. These are, this is a bullet. <laughs> Lord, this is a bullet in this man's arm, and, and uh, you've given me skills and training to take this out. Help my hands to be calm. Help me to see the bullet. Help me to operate the tools. You're, you're just thinking, praying, um, God, I need your help right now. And if I miss something, I might kill him. He doesn't know that. I'm not going to tell him that. <laughs> help me to do my job well. And then say, hey, bro, it looks like everything went well. I talked to your, yeah, I talked to your wife, um, got a chance to pray with her too. She's, she's excited to see you. You're, I think you're going to recover. You see, there's a, there's a way, there's a spirit, there's a, a care, there's a love. And I really think with a, um, my, my desire, if, if you could hear any of this, is you have to love and care for people. And if you do, how do you do that on Zoom? How do you, how do you hear online classes? Do you love them? Hey, I noticed you weren't on Zoom today. Send them a quick text. Um, notice, in fact, I've noticed you missed the last two classes, or maybe you missed the last few youth groups. Um, boy, we sure miss you when you're here. You're an important part of what we do. And uh, everything okay? You can text. You can phone call. Um, it, it is frustrating, and it's hard, and it's the spirit of don't give up meeting together because it is important. Um, God's required us to figure out how to do online services. He's required us to figure out how to do Zoom. I'm not a technical guy. I don't enjoy that at all. But if that's what it takes, I need to get over myself. And so if you're doing online classes, there's ways to do that. I don't have all the answers. I would ask you to go to God, go to the Lord in prayer. And I, I love these people, and I, want to, and I care for these people. There's lost people, and I'm frustrated, God, that I can't build a relationship with them. Help me know how. And I would believe wholeheartedly that he wants to do that for you. That's an easy request. Um, how do I pursue people per doing their pandemic? Got that. How will you know if you're influencing your non-Christian friends in a positive way? Are you applying biblical principles in how you interact with others? I think we, we pray Colossians 4, 5, and 6 often. Um, be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be full of grace and seasoned with salt. We pray these um, over regularly. Uh, Lord, I, I want to make the most of this opportunity. How do I do that? Help me to do that. Use my words for your glory. Um, again, I think it really comes down to of the overflow of loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You're able to love neighbors that aren't easy to be loved. And, but I care about them. I love them. They're, I don't want them to... We're talking about eternity here. We want, to make, we want to make disciples. So hopefully that's somewhat helpful.
Just a, a quick question here. It says, what do you hope to see in heaven? Um, and uh, there would be a lot of things. I, I, Of course, Greg, you know, described heaven for us in his message, and I think he gave us a, a lot of good thoughts there. Um, maybe just a, a few few other things. Uh, one thing that I'm looking forward to is is redeemed culture. I, um, you know, it is interesting how how the Bible describes heaven as having every every tribe, tongue, people, nation there, and um, and to understand that that everything that was 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 good and um, redeemable in every culture is somehow going to be represented in heaven. It's like there's a, a, a diversity that God designed into the world that's expressed in different peoples um, that's still going to be there. And so, so I think that gives us something. I think that's, that's helpful to just understand that when I look around the world, I can, I can see so much good that God's expressing through different, different peoples. Um, I, I, I look forward to um, discovery. I, I think sometimes we can think that well, heaven means we've been perfected, and so there's nothing really to do. And, and I think it's going to be different than that. Um, I think there is going to be a discovery. I think there might be space exploration. I wonder if God has given us this enormous universe, and maybe we'll finally be able to get further than the moon. And, um, and I, so I think there's going to be that discovery. I think there's going to be that cultivation, kind of like Adam and Eve they were morally perfect initially, um, but God still had something for them to, to shape into the world. Like he said, okay, I'm giving you kind of the bare resources here, and now I want you to mold it together and do something with it. So those are some things just in general that I, I um, am looking forward to seeing. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing um, uh, that, that, that exploration, that discovery, that cultivation, the, the diversity of culture, um, diversity but not um, the diversity that doesn't hinder relationship. That, that's one thing that I'm, I'm really looking forward to, where, where, where you see differences in people, but it doesn't create this awkwardness that, that there's this wall in between me and, and you because we're different. So. I'm looking forward to Doritos that don't have calories. Um. Oh, my last question, I probably shouldn't have started off and said, well, that's the wrong question. What I meant to say is, that's a great question. So, um, okay, what is a more important topic to talk about, heaven or hell? I mean, I know you should have a good balance of both, but should you share the wonder of heaven or the fear of hell more? And I think that's good. I think this kind of answers itself. You should have a good balance of both. Um, I, I tend to think to emphasize what Scripture emphasizes is a good principle, not just in this area, but in everything. And honestly, I'm not positive which scripture would emphasize more. I would guess, if you look at Jesus' teachings and Paul's teachings, I might think there might be a little more emphasis on heaven and the wonder of heaven. Uh, but obviously both are talked about quite a bit. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go middle of the road on that one. All right. You guys doing all right out there? How much time we got? You you giving me more questions? What's going on here? What's that? Okay. Um, so a couple here that had to do with my talk. How do I believe I believe? 
Um, we see through a poor reflection as in a mirror. Um, it seems beyond our complete, complete grasp. In light of this, how do we differentiate uh, between sincerely believing or sincerely believing we believe? Uh, one of the things that was uh, motivating me in my talk is knowing being in a, a room full of young folks and parents and older folks is one of my missions in life is to really bless and give permission to say I'm struggling. In James, it says if you confess your sins one to another, you'll be healed. And so much of our own sin is there in Romans, right? We suppress. We're afraid to be honest. We're afraid to be known. It is a relationship, and I've seen my belief even grow since I've been here. I got to, uh, I was so exhausted yesterday. Brian stepped in and did the second uh, session, and I learned from him. So how do we know that we're believing? Well, part of it is confessing where, where we don't have it together and then seeing it grow and seeing it grow. Um, so uh, to both those questions, it's not like a knowing, like you're just going to mentally be like, I got this. No, it's going to be like, oh, hey, pastor, brother, sister, w would you pray for me in this? So it's learning to live honest, honest. I'm not going to suppress any longer. I'm going to be soft to the Lord. So let's see. Um, I've got uh, about three questions on the same subject. Uh, they were basically related to um, can can people get saved after the rapture? Um, will non-believers on earth during the wrath get a second chance? Um, that idea, and again, you know, I don't represent all theology on this subject. I just share with you what I understand on this, but I do believe that uh, the scriptures would teach there's a chance during the tribulation period. Again, someone else asked, uh, has a tribulation already happened in the dark ages? And again, the tribulation period, most prophecy scholars would say that's the seven-year period that Daniel spoke of in Daniel 9, 27, and there's seven-year period that's the the horrors and the judgments of God like we've never seen before would be happening. And most scholars would say that hasn't started yet. It will start with a peace treaty in the Middle East that's brokered by the Antichrist. And, and I don't think anyone thinks that happened in the Middle Ages there. So I don't believe that's happened yet. I could be wrong. But uh, just a couple verses when it comes to will there be unbelievers? Uh, will they have a chance to get saved? Will there be believers left? Uh, you know, I think of Revelation 7 and, and Revelation 9, they talk about, at one point it talks about locusts being released on the planet. They're going to have the sting of a scorpion and things like that. But it says this, um, Revelation 9, 4, they were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any plant or tree. Um, and let's see, but only those people who did not have the seal of God on their foreheads. This idea that there'll be people that have the seal of God on their foreheads and they... Um, those who don't have that seal, these locusts are going to be harming and, and tormenting and whatever, but not those who have the seal of the servants of God. So it says basically there will be 
servants of God, believers. Some would call those tribulation saints. Uh, some, you know, the idea of can you get saved, Revelation chapter 14 talks about, um, it says, Then I saw another angel flying in midair. He had the eternal gospel to proclaim to those who live on earth, to every nation, tribe, language, and people. He said in a loud voice, Fear God, give him glory, because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, the springs of water. Then it talks about some of the judgments that start coming out on the earth there, uh, the, the different bowls of God's wrath. But one place, uh, Revelation 16, 9 says, And they were seared by the intense heat and cursed the name of God uh, who had control over these plagues, but they refused to repent and glorify God. It says that multiple times. There's this idea that these things are going to be happening and people will have a chance to repent and, and many will refuse to repent, but it implies that some do not refuse to repent and and it says that different times and so I, I think about it someone was saying isn't it cruel that God would pull out the Christians and judge everyone who's left and and in some ways I actually think it's merciful people who've rejected God all their life and here he's going to do some of the most attention getting things that have ever happened on the planet and the rapture being one of the first ones but I, I almost think of it more like a, a defibrillator you know, when someone does not have a heartbeat, and what do you do? You attach this thing that runs a shock through them to try to shock them into having a heartbeat. And if that doesn't work, what do they do? You know, they say clear, they, they try it, and then what, they crank it up, and they try again, and they, and they try to make someone's heart start beating. And I get a sense that through these things that are going to happen, God in his mercy wants to shock some people's heart into beating. And eventually it says those... Uh, I don't know when or how it occurs, but it seems like there'll be a transition from trying to help people repent to these are actually the judgments of God that are happening on earth, you know, at that time, and, and there'll be eternal judgment to come. But it just seems like there's a chance to repent, and there's some who won't, and I think these tribulations will polarize people, and those who want to turn to God will, and those who don't, no matter how hard it gets, they still won't. But I, I believe there's a chance, as I understand it, and then Christ will return and rectify it all, but that's just my understanding there. Good. Let me do one. Let me do it. Yeah. All right. This is a great question. This is probably many of us have asked this question. Uh, basically, the question is saying, uh, what about people? What happens to people who never had a chance to believe the gospel? Will they go to heaven or hell? Right. And I go, that's a great question. We all think about that, but I think we're thinking of those. When we ask that question, we're thinking in a human mindset, not in God's mindset. Because what we're kind of thinking is, well, there's like three groups of people. There's like a group of people over here who heard the gospel and received it. And then there's a group of people over here who heard the gospel and rejected it. And then there's a third group in the middle who never heard the gospel. That's like what we're thinking. But I don't think that's really the case because God sees things as there's righteous and unrighteous. Like he, he has, our world is a dichotomy. There's the righteous and the unrighteous. Um, and so it's something we can wrestle with because in our human understanding, we say, well, it kind of feels like or seems like there's these people in these deep, dark places of the world and different parts of history who never had a chance to hear the gospel. Well, maybe that's true. But I take comfort that the Apostle Paul wrestled with that, too. You go back to Acts chapter 17, and he's talking to the guys in Athens, and he says, God made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth. Right? God made one man, and then there was the Tower of Babel, and they spread out, and they went all over the face of the earth. Well, who's in charge of that? God was in charge of that. God knew. He knew when everyone was going to be born. He says, Paul goes on, he says, God determines 
allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling places. He set every single person on the earth at the place they need to be at the time they need to be. Why? Paul answers it. He says, why? That they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. So God has set everybody up in the place where they need to be, where they can perhaps find God. And we go, oh, well, well still, maybe, what if God's not clear, not, or God's not close to them? Well, Paul answers that too. He says, God, God is actually not far from each one of us. So I believe, no, and I believe God's just, and God is fair, and we're going to stand before that judgment seat of God, and no one's going to be like, well, that's not fair, like John was talking about this morning. We're going to go, yes, it's right, it's fair, it's good, everything is paid for, every unjust deed, it's, it's all there. Um, but then we can still say, well, what about those people? It seems like they don't hear. And I say, well, he says that, that they should seek God. And I believe if somebody, wherever they are in history or time, has that ability to say, ah, there's something missing in my life. There's a gap between me and the one who created me, and I need to seek him. And then there's, it's almost like God is has this obligation that if somebody does that, he's going to go to them. And I'm encouraged. I've read stories even recently within the past 10 years of there's people in, in very closed Muslim countries who are having dreams and visions. And, and Jesus shows up and says, hey, I am, I am the one because Jesus is in Islam. Like he's a prophet in Islam. He says, hey, I'm Jesus. And you need to go to this person who's a Christian in that country. He points them to that person. He's showing up. And so somebody who's saying, I need this God, and God is showing up even in dreams and visions. And I'm like, if he's doing that now, I think he's been doing that throughout history. So it's a really great question. But I think if we can sort of think of the world as instead of three divisions, if we can think of it as really two, there's, there's the righteous and the unrighteous. And God is just and he's fair and there's not going to be sort of that third category at the end. For time's sake, I think we'll just go to the last couple questions. Feel free to talk to any of the pastors, any of your leaders, if we missed your question. John, do you want to hit one? Yeah. It's so hard to absorb anything when you've reached the limit. And I'm guessing a bunch of you guys have reached the limit. But I want to ask you for grace for one more question. And there may be another. I don't know what Josh will do here. But this is an important question, especially for some people in this room. This is a critically important question. It's the opposite of what Greg just addressed. And it says, if someone put their trust in the Lord but kept living a bad life, would they go to heaven? So here's the important question behind this question. How do you know you're saved? Understand this. Getting saved is something. If you say, hey, I accepted Christ when I was a kid, so I know I'm a Christian. No, you don't know that. You're not a Christian because you accepted Christ somewhere. This is why you're a Christian if you are one. You are a Christian because the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ has come into you and sealed you. No matter how often you've gone to church or how many times you've prayed for Jesus to come into your life, if the Holy Spirit did not enter you, you are not a Christian. And being a Christian is a real thing. It isn't just a different set of beliefs. When the Spirit enters into you, you feel it. You change. When I became a Christian, things changed. So if you look around you and you go, you know what, this is just 
this, this seems to be something to other people it isn't to me. I know I got saved because when I was five, I prayed with my mom, but I don't know. Something, somehow they connect with it in a way I don't. If you find that in you, you struggle, you can't get, you know, just, you, you just, nothing seems different in your life. Let me tell you something. You're probably not saved. You don't have his spirit. The reality that makes all this work isn't in you. So don't be deceived in the fact that you grew up in a Christian family. I know a young man that was in a strong Christian family, and he got, you know, he prayed when he was a little kid with mom and dad. And, um, but he was in his mid-20s when he realized, this is not working for me. This is not real to me. If your life is not changing, if you don't sense a, 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 a something in there that's more than you, you are not saved. There's a place Jesus needs to come into your life. And, and it's a real thing that's more than you. It's not just a set of nice beliefs about how to be good. It's a connection with the living God. So if someone says they're a Christian and nothing in their life is changing over time and they just seem to be fine with it, you can just look straight at them and go, you are most likely not a Christian. You do not have his spirit living in you.